the size of our neighborhood has grown far beyond what previous generations could have imagined. When I think about my grandparents, they would have known their neighborhood only to be the people that lived in the houses next to them, the people that they worked with every day, their family, both local and extended, and then the people that they went to church with. On the other hand, I have a digital network of friends that literally spans the entire nation and around the world. We're able to meet people, talk to people, have conversations with people online that weren't possible before. And while we like to think about people that we interact with online, like our neighbors, like our friends, the truth is we have access to people that we never would have before. It's an amazing world to live in. When I have friends online that I have never met in person, never had a conversation with, but interact with on a regular basis. And with powerful tools like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok, large corporations are built around giving us the ability to have conversation with the people all over the world. And while all of these things can be powerful tools for communication, they also are a double-edged sword. People use them to say some of the cruelest and most harmful things imaginable. All of us have probably experienced or maybe even participated in saying things online that we would have never said to somebody face-to-face. More than that, we just group ourselves with people that already believe what we believe. There's this confirmation bias that exists when we're in the echo chamber of listening to everybody say what we already agree with. And so we don't expand our understanding or knowledge. What is perhaps most discouraging is that Christians online don't act any better. In fact, sometimes they act worse than people that aren't followers of Christ. What if we begin to see the people we interact with online as our neighbors? What if we, as Christians, begin to treat the people that we interact with online like Jesus calls us to treat our neighbors? What if every comment that we wrote, every post that we put up, every picture that we put We would run through the lens of what that looks like involving the Great Commission and the Great Commandment and our witness for the Lord online. How would it impact your online behavior if you wanted to make sure that you were living as Christ has called you to live at your own digital address? There's no doubt that technology has revolutionized our world. And I mentioned my grandfather in that video, and I think about the world in which my grandfather grew up in and the world in which my kids are growing up in. So my grandfather grew up on a farm um, in between Gibson Wells and Brazil, Tennessee. Y'all know where that is, right? Well, it's, it's right in between Trenton and Humboldt. That probably didn't help some of you a whole lot either. Just northwest of Jackson, and he lived on a farm, grew up on a farm, a very simple life. His world was very small. In fact, the road that he grew up on was Bill Edwards Road. Now, just so you know, my great-grandfather's name was Bill Edwards. Now, it wasn't because they named that road after him, it wasn't because he was a great statesman or politician. They named the road Bill Edwards Road because they had to name the road for uh, 911 services, and the only person that lived on the road was Bill Edwards. It was a huge farm, family farm, and that's where he lived. That's where my, fa- my grandfather grew up. Sometimes I just imagine, can you imagine, like, you know, him that grew up listening to radio? Literally, they didn't get a TV till he was on up in years and listening to the Opry on Saturday nights and St. Louis Cardinal baseball on weeknights or weekday afternoons. You imagine putting him in our world 
today. Technology has expanded rapidly, not just from my grandfather's time period. It's expanded rapidly even from the time when I was growing up. I think about Eli, who's a junior in high school today. And when I was a junior in high school, I was doing a term paper. I remember that, my first term paper. I wrote it on the Black Sox scandal of 1919, where they were accused of cheating in the World Series. That would never happen again, where a team would cheat to win the World Series, Ben York. But... I was doing the research. I love my title. I named the the research paper Baseball's Dirty Laundry, the Black Sox Scandal. I was so proud of that title. Um, But you know how I researched that title, some of you, that, that paper? Some of you remember these days, right? I went to an actual physical library. I went in. I got a card catalog. Y'all remember those, right? Shuffled through them, looking for them. I pulled out microfiche. Y'all remember that? How many of you can have ever run? I'm like, there we go. There were no hands raised down here, right? Like, remember, you remember that machine? You'd run it through and wrote down note cards after note cards and filed them away in one of those pull-away filing things and got it all together and wrote my term paper, right? Kids today, people today, they don't need to. It's ridiculous for them to do something like that because everything they need is virtually at their fingertips. Technology has revolutionized that. It's thinking even in the time of Luke, who was born in 2006. I saw a list the other day, and I don't know why 2006 was picked on this list. Maybe because it's right before some of this stuff was created. But Luke was born in 2006. And in 2006, these things did not exist. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Uber, Spotify, Netflix, Dropbox, TikTok or iPhones? <laughs> Some of you are longing for the good old days, right? And perhaps nothing in the last 10 to 15 years has changed more than the way we communicate with each other. One kind of cultural observer says that this is the largest shift we experienced in the last five years in our existing, or in our um understanding even more and more as we go, still engaged in the largest shift in communication in the last last 500 years since the printing press was created. I mean, think about this. How, How do we communicate with people? The most common way people communicate around the world these days, besides face to face conversation, which is still number one, is text messaging. There are 15,200,700 texts sent every minute. The average person spends an hour every day texting. Actually, 55 minutes, but I rounded up. And social networking has changed the way we can interact with one another and with people we don't even know. The growth is absolutely phenomenal. In fact, I saw this graph this week, and there, this kind of thing has started kind of taking off. It's actually a video, but I didn't have rights to the video, so I screenshotted it here anyways for us. All right. And this is in 2011, not that, you know, less than a decade ago, the number of users on various social networks. And you can see the top is Facebook. It will remain the top. There's no surprise there. But, boy, LinkedIn was way up there, man, almost 100 million. And Twitter was just getting started. And then you got some down here that really don't even, weren't even existence. And just five years later in 2016, 
two billion, one billion, three hundred and sixty eight million, four hundred and fifty five million. You see how it's changing rapidly. That's five years time. Facebook has more than quadrupled. And then 2018, so this is two years ago, but the statistics have leveled off a little bit for Facebook. It's hard to, once you get to two and a half billion people, there's not a whole lot more people out there. Two billion on YouTube. Instagram has a billion. By the way, Facebook has two billion users. Well, how many active? They have that participate every other day within a week that participate two to three times a week. 1.6 billion. That's a lot. Just to give you an idea, does anybody know what the largest single group of people that have some sort of common affinity has been in the world for the last several decades? Christians. You're part of it. You know how many Christians are worldwide right now? Somewhere between 2.4 and 2.5 billion. So Facebook may have passed Christians as the largest group of people. Isn't that crazy? And in the midst of all this, you have to begin to ask some questions. Because Facebook, by the way, is worth somewhere around $500 billion, give or take a couple of billion, right? And you begin to think, so, so and this is all coming to a point, I promise, all right? How do they make that money? Because how much does Facebook cost you to use? It's free, right? And the old saying is, if the product is free, you are the product. So how do they make their money? They make their money by advertisement, right? They make their money by advertisement. They charge advertisers to get on Facebook and put up pictures and links to things that you only talk about with your family at the dinner table and then show up on your Facebook feed the next day somehow. Anybody ever had that happen? All right. So they put ads on there, and they can only get the amount of money that is proportional to how long you spend on the app. And so their goal is to somehow figure out how to keep you in their network longer than anywhere else. The longer you stay, the more they can charge. Reality is they're in the business of addicting you to their platform. That's true of all of them, whether that's Snapchat, TikTok. Facebook, Twitter. And a recent report in the New Yorker told how they have discovered how to do this. Listen to this. Just listen to this quote. Social media platforms know what you're seeing and they know how you acted in the immediate aftermath of seeing it and they can decide what you will see next in order to further determine how you act. So they know what you saw They know how you reacted, and if you reacted, they know what to put up next for you to continue to react. You get in a feedback loop that gets progressively tighter until it becomes a binding force on an individual's free will. And it gets worse, because this is what they've discovered. What social networks have discovered is that negative emotions like outrage and contempt and anxiety tend to drop significantly more engagement than positive emotions. So the angrier, the more contempt-filled, the more hate-filled, and the more anxious they can make you, the longer you stay and the more you engage. Now the truth is, most of us in this room, 
grew up in a world that did not prepare us for this technological age. The only people in this room, in all honesty, that grew up in a world that had any clue what this was about are the ones sitting on these first two pews and then children scattered throughout. Generation Z and those that are coming are what they call technology native. We are aliens in the technology world, no matter how old you are. No matter how awesome you think you are at technology, it's an acquired, learned language. We're not equipped for it. And so today, as we continue our series called Neighborhood Watch, we're going to talk about how to conduct ourselves at our digital address, in our digital neighborhood. Here's the thing about our digital address, our digital neighborhood, as some people have discovered in popular culture is... The problem is what we do and what we say in the digital space is their own record. I remember when I was growing up in school, they used to use this phrase to scare us all to death. You don't want to get in trouble with Mr. Jones because it will go on your permanent record. It was like, permanent record? That just sounds bad. Now, that was also Mr. Jones supposedly had an electric paddle that he used on second graders. But so... I didn't know those two things were what scared me. But your digital footprint is a real permanent record. It's kept up with. It's there. And so as we think about that, I want us to ask the question, how do we react? Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look first at what Jesus says. Then we're actually going to turn to a place in Scripture where Paul kind of helps us through. And I'll explain how I got there this week. But I struggled for the last couple of weeks thinking about this, that I really wanted to come at, come, come at the end of the message and give you some biblical, practical advice about how to handle yourself online. But and I, and I, this week and doing some other study, God kind of led me to the place. But I want to start with a foundational element. Matthew chapter 12. And let me tell you what's kind of going on. We're going to begin in verse 33. So if you want to kind of have, if you've got your app open, you want to go ahead and get to verse 33. Your Bible open, you want to get to verse 33. Here's what's happening in this ministry time. Jesus is in the crux of the ministry when he's really out there healing people, teaching, helping people, kind of steering towards what Jerusalem will be as he comes to the place that he's going to give his life for us. And in Matthew chapter 12 and the verses that precede this, he comes upon a man that is demon-possessed and is unable to speak and is blind. And so if you will, this guy has three things going against him. Now, Jesus will often heal people that are blind or heal people that are mute or would, uh, he has withered hands. He will heal kind of a one-stroke thing or he will um, exercise a demon from somebody throughout Scripture. But there's a little bit of a different situation because he comes upon a man that is demon-possessed, blind, and unable to speak. And we're not really sure how long he had all those. And so he comes upon this man and it says in the scripture that Jesus heals him. So he takes the demon out and it even points out and the man could then speak and see. 
And so Jesus, in this part of his ministry, comes upon a man. He was healing. He was doing all that. This man's demon-possessed, can't see, can't speak. Jesus says a word. Jesus does something. Now, we're not sure if this is where he rubbed stuff on him or he healed in a variety of ways. But whatever he does, he heals the man. The man can see. The man can speak. The demon is gone. And it says that the crowd, the crowd, and it is interesting because the word that he used for crowd is the crowd of crowds. Like, this is the one. This is the group. This is the different groups come together, say, could this man be the son of David and the Pharisees are quick to say no 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 he can't be the son of David because that would be to admit that they were wrong and so they begin to say he's not David he's not the son of David he's not doing this by God's power he's doing it by the devil's power and Jesus looks at him and says wait 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 what and he uses a line that's famous in history He says a kingdom or a house divided against itself will not stand. He says, how in the world could I, if I was working for the enemy, if I was working for the devil, go in and throw out the devil? Why would I do that? That doesn't make any sense at all. He says, or if that is true, how could I be, if I'm under him, if I'm serving under him, how could I be greater than him and go and throw him out and then invade, let light invade in? He said, that is ridiculous. And then he says to those that are the Pharisees, he says to those around, if you're not for me, if you're not with me, you're against me. And in verse 33, he begins to describe that there are two people when it comes to the kingdom of God. Verse 33 says this, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and the fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. See, Jesus had just claimed in the previous verses that the Pharisees were evil because they didn't recognize God working in and through Jesus. And to the crowd that was gathered, the word evil and Pharisee would never be put together. It's kind of like last week we talked about the word good and Samaritan would have never been put together by them. Well, evil and Pharisee would not have been put together. And so Jesus has to explain. Jesus has to build a foundation. And he says our true identity is seen in our behavior, not in the group to which we belong. Now, I, just, I could leave that there for a little bit. Our true identity is found or seen in our behavior, not to the group in which you belong. I mentioned in the video that sometimes I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and people will say some of the vilest things, and then you'll look at their profile and they'll have a Bible verse up there. Praise God. Saved. And I'm not suggesting that Christians ought to be perfect. In fact, it's not my position to determine the eternal salvation of anybody else. That is for God and God alone. But the book does call us to be fruit inspectors. And when I look sometimes at the way people react, the way people act, the way people talk, the way they say, sometimes you have to ask the question, what does the fruit say about the person? Basically, Jesus says kind of three things that they're all similar. They all kind of come around the same thing. But he's saying the kind of the same thing. And that is, you get the tree right, the fruit will be right. That if you're right inside, it'll be right on the outside. Or if the fruit's not right, then the tree's not right. 
Your words and your actions reveal what you most deeply follow and believe. Look at verse 34. So this is when he speaks directly to the Pharisees. He calls them a brood of vipers. Now, that's not a phrase we use a whole lot anymore. I haven't heard that in a long time. But here's the idea. You are a bunch of little snakes. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. He goes on in verse 35 to remind us again, same principle. A good person produces good things from its storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. And this is verse 36 and 37. I want you to hear these, and I want you to focus on these. Because what it says is, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now Jesus is not here saying that we will get to heaven and God will say, okay, let me determine whether or not you're saved. So let me balance your good words and your bad words and whatever comes out the best, I'm going to say wins. But what Jesus is saying here is that our words, our actions, specifically our words in this case, reveal whether or not we have been changed and saved. In the midst of this, in the original language, in verse 36, it says that they will have to account for, and there's a word there that is a Greek word that, some, that even if you're not a Greek student, that you have heard, and it is the word pan, P-A-N. Pan means all. So when you hear things like pandemic, it means like talking about the thing happening over in China, right? That there's a possibility that it could spread to all places. Pandora's box, that everything is released. All is there, right? And so when it says for all words that are careless, we will give an account. Now we realize, I realize, that... When Jesus is speaking this word, these words, he is talking to people that have no clue what a digital address is. But the principle applies. For every careless word we speak, for every careless word we type, for every careless post we place, we will be held accountable. Words reveal who we are. Comments reveal who we are. Postings reveal who we are. And that's particularly hard online because online engagement leads itself to some common issues. It encourages right now reactions. The speak before you think. You read something. You got to share that. You got to get that out there. Am I going to check whether it's true or not? Why would I do that? It's too good. If it's not true, it ought to be. 
So you see something and you last time you saw that, you made you so mad that you commented on it and you shared it with your friends and you, you texted somebody and said, you got to check out my Facebook because, man, there is something I want you to see on there. And you're talking to your friends over coffee and, man, did you see my Facebook and what I put there? Did you check out what I put in that place? Did you see what I posted on Snapchat? Did you hear what I said? Most of us would be wise to heed the words of James to be quick to listen and slow to anger. But we don't have time. It's a right now world. We desire information right now. Average attention spans are decreasing among every generation. And the youngest of our generations, they might as well not have one. It's not their fault. It's the world in which we live. I mean, for people of my generation, people of, that are not digital natives, when's the last time we sat down and watched a movie at the house without picking up our phone, without looking at something that's on there, without researching, now what was she in? Now what did he do with it? Oh, did you see real quick? i got to check something real fast. I remember a time when there were questions without answers that we had in the house. Right? But we didn't have Alexa to ask or... Siri to question. My mom and dad had an argument about a basketball game for my entire life. <laughs> and they couldn't find the answer to it. They don't last that long today, right? You just look it up. Just find it. We see and we react. Another reason that it's difficult online is because online offers immediate feedback. We put up a post, we send something, we put it on, uh, we send it to our friends, we message them, we Instagram it, we say, here it is, and then immediately those likes start coming in. It's retweets. Facebook even made it where we don't just say we like it, we can love it, or it can make us angry. By the way, they're tracking all that to know what to send you next. We share our lives, every aspect of it, and then we want immediate feedback. Like, oh, I thought that was a cute picture. Let me put it up there. Oh, what's, what's going on? Nobody's really thinking it's cute anymore. Well, I'll show them. Or we look for certain people to like our stuff. Why don't, why don't they like it? There's a comedian named Nate Bargatze that says that his wife gets on to him for not liking her pictures on Instagram. He said, I'm in the picture. He said, I could not do much more for that picture than I have already done. And I told you when you took it, I like that picture. Like, I have told you that I like it. Online engagement encourages right now reactions. It offers immediate feedback. It also creates a false sense of reality. We look and we see, and everybody looks great. We don't see the 82 pictures they took to put the one selfie up. Everybody's ha- you notice, Have you noticed this? Everybody's having a great day online. Everybody's on vacation somewhere. Half our church is at Disney at all times, it feels like. Everybody's doing something fun there. You know, it's a great day out there. Everybody's airbrushed and photoshopped and family looks perfect and having a birthday. Somebody's always having a birthday, it seems. Everybody's on my side out there, too. Like, I, everybody I'm talking is on my side. Or everybody's against me. And you create this false sense that this is the reality of the world when it's the reality of the 34 people that are engaging with you. And lastly, what makes it difficult is that it leaves little room for context. 
I mean, you can put as many emoticons out there or smiley face, but there's no emotion there. I have often longed for a sarcasm font where people could immediately realize that is sarcasm. That's not reality. The number of tweets or comments that I myself have refused to type because I thought they will not understand that is sarcastic is in the millions, probably. There's no interaction. There's no room for follow-up. There's no room for another side to the story. I don't know if you saw this. I was thinking about this because of something that happened a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you, maybe you saw this, but it blew up online, not just around here, but around a, a lot of places that there was a pastor in Gallatin. I don't know if you, who, who called down someone that had a baby in the, in the worship service. Anybody see that? Okay. It got all over people going nuts on that pastor. Listen, and, and the pastor, listen, I watched whatever little clip of the sermon was in there and he said some things that I thought, hmm, I don't know about that. It got shared and Hundreds of thousands of views. Three days later, that same lady put a post up of her standing with the pastor and his wife who went out of his way to find her and meet with her and apologize to her and tell her he was in the wrong and that he was going to apologize from the stage on Sunday morning and tell the people that he was in the wrong and he wanted her and her baby back in service. It got like 20 responses there's no ability to have context there and so you just throw something i can't believe this would happen so how do we navigate that terrain i don't normally have you do this i won't have you do it turn to colossians chapter 3 turn to a second passage this is where we're going to finish today because i want to leave you with some i want to leave you with some practical stuff okay I don't have all the answers figured out, but I want to leave you with some practical advice. Four points I'm going to make at the end. They all come out of Colossians 3. As a staff, we're studying Colossians together over this, from the beginning of the year until we're finished. And so tomorrow, as we meet in staff meeting, we are actually discussing the passage I'm about to read to you. And I was looking over and studying it last week, and it just fell so in line with what the words we need to hear. It's about interpersonal relationships within the church, but I think it can expand broader beyond that to our digital address. Colossians chapter 3 says this, So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and with your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, because of that, because Christ has saved you, because you are in him, because you have been hidden with Christ in God, therefore put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. We didn't have time today to even talk about our digital online um, uh, interaction with those kind of elements. But it has made it easier than ever for those elements to invade the life of a family. He said, you once walked in these things, but you were living in them. But now, put away all the following And then he talks about things that we shouldn't have as a part. And these things should not be a part of your regular life or your digital life. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. He says, listen, you have been saved. Put away the sinful nature that was before Christ saved you. And then he gives you some practical stuff at the end. And we're going to turn this into practical things for digital. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you're also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Four things that I want to give you today as you leave. If you've got somewhere to write things down, you haven't written anything else down, write these down, all right? Four things I want to give you as you leave. When you're online, filter everything you do through the lens of the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? I mean, ask the question, will this build up the kingdom of God Does this glorify Jesus? That doesn't mean everything you write has to have praise Jesus on it. But does it build up people? Does it build the kingdom? Does it help people understand that God loves them and desires for them to come into a saving relationship with him? Is this something that looks after the things that God would look after, that God would care about, that God would want to happen? Second thing. Imagine what you are about to post You saying it in a public setting. I don't know how many friends I have on Facebook, but it's more than a thousand. And every time I post something on Facebook, it is as if I am standing on a platform with a thousand people in the room and I am shouting something. And the same is true for you, whatever platform you're on, that when you are sharing something It is as if you are standing on a platform and shouting it. So remember, when you go back to number one, that you have an impact on the people around you and how they understand and interpret the kingdom of God. Number three, make a practice of pushing away the keyboard and the phone often. Slow to speak, quick to listen. Slow to anger. There are some times you may need to throw the phone across the room without breaking it. Gently slide it to get it away. Times you just need to push the keyboard away. I'm not going to respond to that until I've thought through it and prayed through it. And then the last thing, and this is it, when you're online, lead with Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I know that doesn't fit real easy. He just put this out beside Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Because the point that is being made by Paul here is the point we need to hear. If you're a Christian, act like it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
You are responsible for acting as if you represent him because you do. There are times, listen, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. There are times that I see things, that I read things, and man, it gets my fire going. It gets my blood boiling, and I think, boy, I need to say something about that. And I think, but I like the job I have. I like my job. I feel called to this job, and I don't want to lose it. And you say, well, that's, that's right. You're a preacher. Listen, we are all ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And everything you post, it's as if you are representing him when you do it. And so no matter how mad the other side of the aisle makes you politically, you represent Christ before you represent your party. So no matter how upset you get at the drive through window that they didn't get your change right, you represent Christ as you degrade people that are working for a living. Everything you have comes through you has to honor Him. Good fruit comes from what? A good tree. Bad fruit comes from a bad tree. So therefore, as God's chosen holy ones, put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing one another. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Above all, put on love and let Christ's peace rule. Let the peace of Christ, the fact that you are assured of your salvation in Him, be the thing that guides your heart. Let God's word dwell in you richly and give thanks and praise to him. And then whatever you do, in word or in deed, whatever. You know what whatever means there? It means whatever. You do it in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't know any way to say this other than this. Believers, followers of Jesus Christ, I'm not singling out any single person. I'm talking to us as a collective group. We've got to clean up our online stuff or we are going to lead people in a direction where they don't see the great God that we serve. Family squabbles on the Internet are not family squabbles. They are worldwide squabbles. You may have a family squabble around your Thanksgiving dinner table that nobody else is going to hear about, but you put it online, it's going to get news. So let's lead with Colossians 3. Let's pray together.